Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cape Town. Cape Town, I guess, season two, we would call this now. I, I don't know that we really planned seasons, but I know that's a thing that podcasts do. We're a superhero podcast about superhero things. And like other podcasts, we are now uh, u- utilizing seasons to demarcate the times between our breaks. I'm Tyler Huckabee. And I'm Ryan Ham. And we're it for and tonight. It. <laughs> Welcome back to the show. We're it for tonight. This isn't like a permanent um, situation. Although I don't know that, Ryan, I don't know that you and I are like the major draws to this podcast, but yeah. I don't know that we're expendable. Like I, I think that we are. Like people will be glad to just have us, even though I'm sure they would also be happy to have Chris and Hannah well, I hope so. back along with us too. I mean, it's always nice to have the yeah. full floor, I mean, I, I, just, I, I just still think people are getting like a lesser podcast just because because it's the two of us. I don't want to imply that this is This is not a 50% worse podcast. Maybe like maybe like a, you know, 28% <laughs> worse. If we can put a number on. It. Oh, I think tops. Yeah. If you were going to if you were going to put it percentage-wise, then I think you're still getting like a very strong like superhero podcast as superhero podcast goes, yeah. just with a little less of the the usual like elegance right. that that Chris and Hannah can bring to the fold. Yeah. They're both busy. They have lives. This is a volunteer situation. We don't make any money off of this, so I don't know who's going to complain about it. It's this is just kind of how we roll. It might maybe season two. This is just how we roll. Yeah. If you want to complain about it, then you can pay us, and then you can complain. Yeah, that's true. If you want to go to the Patreon, <laughs> which if you, you know, want to set a Patreon up for us <laughs> and then begin depositing money and into then, it, then you and can then you can accuse us of breach of contract for not getting Chris and Hannah along with us. They'll be back, and you know what. Fair enough. <laughs> then we'll be forced to respond. Our lawyers will probably have to come back and talk to you about that one. Uh, but that would be a very long and involved process. And they have to hire us lawyers. <laughs> so, there's a lot of things on your plate this, right this, now. This all feels like a listener fan situation that honestly, Ryan and I can't be bothered. To, we didn't even bother to talk about it before we started recording tonight. That's how little we care. We're, we're doing our own thing tonight. How are you, Ryan? Pretty good. It's been a little while. We had, it has been a little while. It's, it's been a, it's been over a month. Yeah, we had some Christmas in there, some New Year's. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a big. It was actually a very like. And so I know that like superheroes are taking over kind of the cultural zeitgeist, and as they have been over the past ten years or so. But even by those standards, it was a very active month for us to take off. We didn't plan our season break very well because you had Aquaman in there that made a couple billion dollars. Spider-Man did the Spider-Verse, which is what we're talking about. Miles Morales is the subject of the show tonight. We'll get to that. Don't get jumpy. We're, we're going to be talking about Miles tonight. But it, oh, but there was and there were a bunch of trailers, Super Bowl and stuff like that. Like, I, and I didn't really have anybody to. I had to just go to Twitter and just shout it into the void instead of taking it to to you guys, my other my fellow superhero nerd friends, to talk about it. Yeah, it was a it was a busy time to be gone, but it's good to be back. Uh, you know. I think the highlight of the Super Bowl was probably those TV commercials. That, and if I can give a quick plug uh, to the Fast and the Furious spinoff movie, uh, <laughs> like I'm excited about Avengers, but that, like, yeah, but that Rock and Jason Statham movie is like extremely in my wheelhouse. So uh, I will be seeing that opening night. If anyone would like to invite me to a podcast to discuss, although, it. did you notice how even in the trailer for the the new, and I'm not, I do not watch these movies I, I feel bad i feel like it's i think i would like them a lot if i watched them but i've never seen a single one uh, i just need to it's it gets a little more daunting every year as they add another one to the pile and now i'm yeah, just kind of yeah. feeling like like a lot of people probably feel about like watching avengers movies it's like well 
I, I would do it, but now it's just I have to like 20 movies to watch and who has the time? Right. But I will say I like so here's how it usually goes for me is I usually see them with my brother. Okay. Uh we go opening night. Usually like Midway through, we start getting dirty looks from the people in front of us because we laugh uproariously through most of the whole movie. But isn't that kind of what it is? Like it's supposed to be sort of a mystery science theater situation where you're the, the audience is actively in conversation with the movie itself. I mean, it is for us. It is decidedly <laughs> not so for everyone in the audience. Uh, we have a blast the whole time, and they are some of the most enjoyable movies to see in the theater. But uh, I don't always know if other people around us appreciate our uh, laughter because every time there's this like there's this recurring theme of family that they hammer home. Oh, like, even I know that having never seen them, I'm aware of the family situation. Yeah, you can see the lines. They're just these clunkers <laughs> that uh, Vin Diesel delivers with an absolute stony straight face, and like every time he says one, like I just die laughing, and uh, that's not always the response they're going for. Like so the, the Fast and Furious diehards are there for the, the the family lines really mean a lot to them that, exactly they exactly. don't appreciate somebody mocking their the the pathos of the franchise exactly yeah, yeah. but it does feel like to me a, a total outsider here based on that trailer at least they're kind of pivoting to the superhero vibe because idris elba appears to be bulletproof in this movie or he's like injected himself with some sort of captain america like situation it feels like a, a move like they're kind of moving into the MCU's lane a little bit, which is fine. I don't care. They have to top themselves every mo- every sure, movie, sure. Um, as all these movies do. <laughs> like last time, it was a mysterious virus that someone then could take over all the cars in New York City. And so, as you can imagine, that's that led quite to a virus. That's a, that's, a, that's a very because most most cars are not Teslas yet. So you're t- talking about taking right. over like gasoline engines via computer yeah. chip, right and then there was also there was also a, a chase scene with a submarine so I saw that in the trailers like, so yeah a, yeah look, so look a bulletproof great. man is not that not that i guess it's off. not a huge pivot it's a it's maybe just a minor they're slowly stepping in and we're going to get that avengers fast furious crossover if if they, oh, if they so. die it, it won't be there. did you ryan ever make it to aquaman i have not seen aquaman i'm sorry i feel do like you I'm feel getting... bad do you actually feel bad about that do you wish you'd seen it uh yeah i think so i mean i heard like it was pretty good uh my brother-in-law saw it and liked it i just never got a chance to go see it i saw i saw into the spider-verse which i know we're going to talk about we'll save that we're 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 leaving that we get we got to keep people we got to get them through the ad so we'll we'll get to that with you i knew that uh i knew i would probably only have time to see one movie over the holidays um and then just haven't had a chance to go to another one in january so um i chose spider-man because i thought it looked better and i could take my son um which made for a uh, nice bonus um so i uh, yeah i'd like to see aquaman i heard it was like pretty good it feels like a very to me this feels like a ryan movie and i thought about that when i saw i, I watched it I, I got to it kind of late it was all but an empty theater by the time i got to it and uh, i don't want to get too spoilery for it but it is it's not the best superhero it, it might be the worst superhero movie i saw this year which kind of speaks to the quality of the year of 2018 because there was a lot of really good superhero movies um, but it was definitely also the most superhero movie that I saw in 2018. <laughs> like there was Ryan an octopus plays drums in this movie. Like it's a, it, there was oh, just, it felt good. like the script got no edits. Like the studio didn't even see it before it went. And, in, and I mean that mostly as a compliment, I think. Yeah. I'm still kind of piecing it. It was a, like a month ago that I saw this movie. And I'm still kind of piecing together my feelings about it. It was just a whole lot of a movie. Yeah. 
And if that's what you want out of your Aquaman movie, I mean, the fact that we even have an Aquaman movie is, is something that a few years ago would have sounded insane to me. And the fact that it's kind of Lord of the Rings meets meets what? I don't even know. I don't know that I have a, a fin. It's like Lord of the Rings underwater with surfers. An octopus plays drums. Did you hear it? Like, that, that, that's all I, I guess that's my big review of it. Oh, you know what? I just found out that Aquaman comes out digitally on March 5th. Coming right up. I am going to be in Asia that week, and I will be coming home, and I will have a super long plane ride, so I will watch it on the plane, and then I will give a full review. Oh, that's perfect. That'll be great. I do feel like the part of the reason that it has been so successful overseas is it feels very much like a movie made for overseas. It felt watching it like there's i feel like a lot of movies that come out of the china market have this real um bravado to them this like well we can do anything with cgi right now why don't we do anything with it let's just go for it and they throw everything against the wall to see what sticks and that very much felt like aquaman to me and i think again i do mean that mostly as a compliment there are parts that that really threw me for a loop but it was interesting to see dc uh, a DC movie make a choice and that very much made a choice here. Like this movie has a ton of personality and identity, which is not something that could be said for suicide squad or, or Batman versus Superman. And I, I think that, that uh, it, it's kind of made me wonder, and this was something I wanted to ask about based on, on the success of Aquaman, which is a very successful movie. And we've seen some footage now of the Joker movie coming out with Joaquin Phoenix, the Birds of Prey movie, uh, which released its very short kind of intriguing trailer, Suicide Squad 2, which has a James Gunn pen script, and he may also be directing. And then, of course, Matt Reeves' Batman movie, which is going to be doesn't come out till 2021, but but is definitely interesting. Do you think the DC movie universe is kind of like has they have they righted the ship? Maybe I feel like they've, uh, and I I can't remember where I'd read this, so I apologize if I'm stomping on someone's take that I'm not crediting. But I like I read someone say this, and again, I'm sorry, I can't remember who who talked about how DC has sort of given up temporary, probably temporarily, on the idea of this like shared universe between all these yeah. heroes. Um, and it seems like maybe that's smart for the time being. Um, like it's going to be a while before. You know, you can start introducing those characters. And, you know, maybe they have a linchpin with Aquaman and Wonder Woman, both of which have done really well. But it almost feels like Aquaman is the only movie that's actually trying to do any of that heavy lifting. Because, you know, Wonder Woman sort of paid lip service to the idea as part of a shared universe and then uh, flew back to the early 20th century. You had the Bruce Wayne bookends. But other than that, there was no it was not part of the Justice League movie whatsoever. Right. Right. And I mean, and the next one's going to be set in the 80s. So it feels like the only one that's actually sort of attempting any kind of uh, continuity in the current universe is the um, is the Aquaman movie. And I mean, I don't like is the Flash movie still happening? I, I guess. I don't, really... I don't know. <laughs> it's been it's gone through like three or four directors now. So I, I nothing would surprise me less than it gets delayed again. But maybe. Maybe. But it sounds like from what Reeves has said that the Batman movie doesn't have any link to any other superhero movies. Right. Um, so I'm wondering if they'll kind of cool it on that front for a while. Maybe and maybe maybe try to copy some of Marvel's playbook and just start doing some very loose light teasers and some of the like closing credits. Because like if you think about it, you know, obviously like Marvel never had this huge plan. They like like Samuel L. Jackson was a cameo at the end of right. Iron Man 1, right. and they had no idea how that movie was going to do. 
And it was kind of like, well, if this movie does well, then like maybe we'll make another one and see kind of where it goes. But like, you know, they didn't have any idea that those movies were going to do what they did. So, um, you know, maybe they can do the same thing with uh, Aquaman 2 or Wonder Woman 84 if they can figure that out or, um, you know, Matt Reeves' Batman movie. But I mean, I like I do think that the big thing that Marvel always gets accused of, and I, I think mostly unfairly, is that they don't let their directors actually, you know, put their stamp on the movies. Right, and I think they've right. improved in that. But I think DC is like really letting that happen. It's almost like we're seeing the equivalent of a comics one shot or an mm-hmm. equivalent of a comics mm-hmm. what if or like non-canon books or something like that being written by all these, uh, you know, like all these directors. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see like if Suicide Squad 2 is actually a sequel. Uh, I sort of based on James Gunn's career, um, I would be surprised if he was going to try for a PG-13 movie. I believe early word on the gun movie is that it's almost an entirely new squad. And I would assume he would go hard R with it I based would, on his yeah. last, like his previous movies, which like could be good or could be bad. I've liked some of his movies and haven't liked all of them. Um, so, you know, if he ends up going like, like the horror comedy route, like Slither, it could be really fun and cool. But if he goes like super, then it could be sort of disturbing <laughs> and everyone leaves the theater feeling weird. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I think it just kind of depends on that. I mean, giving, you know, giving that kind of, control over to creative voice can have huge benefits or have huge risks and um obviously you know it can like lead to some amazing stuff like nolan's batman or it can lead to man of steel um and that's sort of the game you're playing when you give this much control over which is why i think marvel's been so hesitant to let or give the reins so eagerly to some of the directors. Sure. And, and I think that that would be an interesting way for DC to differentiate itself from the Marvel Cinematic Universe is by creating these, uh, using their IP, instead of creating the the full cinematic universe that Marvel has, just saying we're, we're going to kind of go crazy and let a direct every director comes in, do their own weird thing that they want to with it, interpret these characters in interesting ways which in the comics has led to some really cool stories that they can, they can tell interesting stories about the Batman and the Joker and Superman without really worrying, worrying about the continuity and, and how it fits into a larger universe. And I know that's been a frustration for a lot of creators in comic books is they always have to be aware of what's happening somewhere else and, and uh, try to make sure their narratives fit with what's happening in the larger, broader scope of the company they're working for if DC was to forego that, at least for a little bit, and say, we're making a Batman movie and it's just a Batman movie, and which is what Nolan did to very successful effect. And, and I think that this Joker movie looks like it's doing the same thing. And I am interested so far in what I'm seeing of the Birds of Prey movie. I'm hopeful that like, I want DC to succeed. I know we've gotten dinged on this podcast for giving them a hard time, but I think so far they've deserved a hard time based on what I'm, I've seen of what's coming ahead, what, what's coming down the pike for these movies, uh, there's reason to maybe be a little bit optimistic about what's next for at least the movies. Yeah, I don't know. And I mean, Shazam, ex- yeah, Shazam looks crazy. Yeah, and Shazam's right around the corner, so we'll kind of see. It feels like Shazam is the first movie that's coming out after they realize that like they didn't want to do Zack Snyder's movies anymore or like have him be as involved. Because, like, everything else is sort of like, like, Wonder Woman, everyone was like, oh, this is really good, sort of in spite of the fact that Zack Snyder was an EP. 
and, and Aquaman is sort of the last of those that have been greenlit, you know, when D, when Warner Brothers was like, we're making a universe. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'll, I'll be really curious to see what Shazam is like. Um, and if there's any ties to the broader DC universe, I think that could be really interesting. So the we're still talking movies here. We'll move to comics eventually. But I do want to there, there's been a few trailers that came out in our in our season break. We've had two now looks at Endgame, two very brief looks at Avengers Endgame, um, which I think when the podcast, when we wrapped up season one, when we did a wrap, I think as they call it in the biz, uh, we didn't even know it was called Endgame yet. From what I understand, the Rousseau's, uh, the Rousseau brothers have said that most of the footage for Endgame is only going to come from the first 20 minutes of the movie. Uh, definitely get that vibe from the trailers. They are not giving much away for the, of the plot at all, uh, which which is fine. I'd say the less I know going into this movie, the better. And and uh, I don't really want many spoilers. I don't want to know who comes back or or who like survives. Like I, I just want to go see the movie opening night and and buckle in and, and be ready for the ride. But what do you think about what we've seen so far, Ryan? Oh, I mean, like, it's really hard because normally normally when a studio refuses to show anything in a trailer, I just assume it's bad. Um, and like, this is the exact opposite for this one. Like, it's like, oh, like whenever I saw it, I was like, mm, I hope they're not showing me too much. And then they're like, oh, it's going to be three hours. And I'm like, oh man, is that long enough? <laughs> um, so, you know, oh, three hours, hook it into my veins. Like, whatever. Sure. I, I, I won't drink all day. I'll just wait. I'll just dehydrate myself so that I can wait it out. I saw a rumor that they're going to put an intermission in, which rules. Like last, last time I saw a movie with an intermission, it was Avatar and Avatar sucks. <laughs> so this I'm excited to see uh, with an intermission and have a blast the whole time. Um, I mean, I think the trailer looks really effective. Like, you know, they know exactly what they're doing. I feel like, like it, it very much feels like this is sort of, marvel studios victory lap at this point mm -hmm. um because their marketing machine can do whatever they want people are going to see this movie if they never did a trailer at all if it just popped up in theaters yeah, tomorrow exactly. it, it would still make a bazillion dollars and i mean like the even if they never did a trailer like that would be a story that would drive ticket sales it's like you know it just feels like they've done they put in the work it feels like it i mean i know that's an you know maybe a rose-colored glasses way of looking at it but it feels like they put in the work over the last 10 years and now they're content to sort of be like all right we know you're going to see this so we're not going to show you anything uh here's the title and here's the date just be there it feels weird to cheer for a for a for a multi-billion dollar for for disney and for a huge company like that like but i'm really enjoying it to be honest like i'm very happy with the marketing so far and the rumors are kind of fun, but I put up some blocks on, on the on the tweets, some like I blocked some words because I don't really want it. Like, there's always those those toy rumors that come out, those photographs of toys that spoil a few things. And for this one, I don't want to know. I don't need to know what's coming down. Like, I, I just want to. Like I said, I'll be there. My butt's going to be in the seat opening night, and uh, I don't, tickets haven't even gone gone on sale yet. But that should be happening pretty soon here. Yeah, uh, and I usually I, I lean on Chris to be on on board for that he just texts me and lets me know when he got got him so chris if you're out there if you're listening i'm ready but one movie that has had plenty of marketing so far is the captain marvel movie which i feel like we were kind of for in back in season one and in, in the in the halcyon days of of the our first season of this podcast we were kind of on different sides of the hype machine for captain marvel because i was pretty into the trailers uh, th that they've released and i felt like you were a little more uh you were a little more skeptical um i mean i've been mostly in 
I mean, as soon as they showed the scrolls, I was pretty in. I yeah, think the scrolls rule pretty hard. Yeah. Like, I'm curious to see what they do with it. I like, I really like the framing of it. It is, it is interesting. Um, and I'm glad that, you know, this feels like a movie that I don't really know what's going to happen. Like, I sort of get the beats of the movie, but I still have no idea how it all fits together, what the timeline is like. So, um, I'm really excited to see it. And like, the space battles look awesome. The dogfights look great, especially when the dogfight is between one person who can fly around and shoot little pew pews out of her hands and everything else is a spaceship. Like, like there's one trailer now where she just punches a spaceship out of the atmosphere. That's awesome. If it's just, if that's the whole I'm movie, then I'm, I'm fine. That's yeah. great. Oh yeah. That sounds great. I hope that's the whole thing. That's all I have to say about it so far. It's coming out soon. We're, we're almost there. It's going to, we got two more episodes of Cape Town until we got a Captain Marvel movie. And uh, we'll be be ready to review it when it happens. I think we, we had a, a Captain Marvel podcast back in the season one archive. So if you want to know a little more about her, check her out there. And then we do have a, <laughs> it, this was a while ago. We have been on break for a while. The Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home trailer with Jake Gyllenhaal's Mysterio, which that I was, I'm, I'm pretty excited about. It was very, it's a very faithful adaptation like of the, of the costume. He's got the fishbowl helmet on his head yeah. and everything. Yeah, I was into that. I like. I know nothing about Mysterio, so I'm excited to see this. Uh, Jake, the one thing I carried away with it is that Jake Gyllenhaal's haircut is very weird. Uh, so I was super excited about his fishbowl, but I was like, "Why does his hair look like that?" <laughs> well, if you wear a fishbowl on your head all day, you're gonna have like hat hair. You're, you're, you're yeah, gonna get, you're gonna get fishbowl hat hair. That's just a given. It's the it's the risk you take for having a dramatic costume, a very ostentatious supervillain costume. It happens in Europe. I don't know. There's not a whole lot to dissect about it. Looks good. I'm excited about it. So here's what I feel like that Far From Home is going to deal have to deal with, and it's going to be this could be a problem for the movie. Is the bar for it now has been set by the Spider Verse movie, which for and we can move into the main part of our discussion right now, which I feel like has set the bar for the entire Spider Man franchise at large. I think that that is probably the best piece of spider-man media that i've ever seen anywhere oh hot take i stand by it i was i was blown away by, by what i saw there I, I just i could not believe how good that movie was i loved spider-verse um i like homecoming more you like homecoming more i feel like that's a hot yeah, take i love i love we homecoming. Both, well yeah. I, lo- I mean i loved homecoming like i've this isn't one of those things where i have to spite one to love the other right, uh, right i'm right. big fans of of both of these yeah i do the, and that's and what's interesting is like i would one thing i wish and i don't know this is like i don't know if this is possible or not from you know with all the deals mm-hmm. in there the one thing i think would be really interesting is if they could bring Tom Holland Spider-Man into the animated universe. I know it was discussed, but I think it was tabled either because it just didn't work in the story or because it was, uh, or potentially like a legal red tape. Yeah. You know, yeah. Complications. I don't know. Yeah. So we're going all the way into Spider-Man and the Spider-Verse. This episode we're, we're, we're dedicating to Miles Morales, uh, the, the new official Spider-Man in addition to there's two Spider-Mans right now in the Marvel cinematic universe and in the Marvel comic book universe as well in the, in the main 616 universe, there's Peter and now there's Miles. When I first heard about Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, the, the animated movie, I think there was a little bit of a sense that this was going to be kind of like a B level, like, we have to give something to the Miles fans. Let's make it an animated, like kind of a lower tier, kind of like a here. Maybe you guys will shut up now about 
uh, like racial representation and miles. And it'll let us do some kind of weirder things that we couldn't make room for in the main Avengers, Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, MCU. And then when the first trailer hit, it was it was an excellent trailer, and it made me start to think that they had put more time and attention into this movie than I'd originally thought. And then the movie itself landed, and I really think it dissected the Spider-Man myth with a uh, a poignancy that I don't feel like I'd seen before in in any of the movies. Even the, even the the Sam Raimi's, which I love, I, I like all of them except for Amazing Spider-Man Two. To be honest, I, I'm a fan of the franchise, well, and Spider-Man Three. But I was really, really blown away by how profound the, the Spider-Verse movie was, and obviously, it just like bangs on all cylinders. The animation, the voice acting, the humor—it it was great across the board, and and I I loved this yeah. movie. Yeah, I thought. I mean, obviously, it's. I mean, it's probably the best animation I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. The way, and I've, I've got to backpedal immediately because, like, from what I would say, like, it felt like a comic book in motion, but not one of those like motion comics that they. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah, sure. It's incredible. Sure. Like, but it actually felt like the experience of reading a comic. Like, all these characters have kinetic energy. Um, you can tell what they're doing. They use like lines and colors in a really vibrant and interesting way. Um, it felt like like it felt like a moving illustration um, and not just animation. It, it was incredible. Like the only like the only bad part about it was that like my son can't read yet because he's four, <laughs> and sometimes they would have speech bubbles, and I was like, oh, I should explain this because you know he won't know what's going on. But I think what you said is exactly right. Like the like the mythology of Spider Man. I think it does really well. And I mean, it, it obviously works to its benefit that we've had roughly 200 Spider-Man movies in the last, you know, 20 yeah, years. And it was the first movie that felt like it was in conversation with those movies, with the, the sort of overabundance of Spider-Man movies. Like it was aware that we all know who Uncle Ben is. We all know yeah. who Aunt May is and didn't waste a lot of time trying to, to put all the pieces on the board. Yeah. And I mean, I think having, uh, and, this was probably a minor spoiler alert if you haven't seen it yet, but I think having, you know, having a Peter who's sort of older and a little bit more cynical and a little bit more hurt, like I, I think is a really interesting wrinkle to, you know, kind of pair with miles optimism and sort of em- embracing of his heroism. And I, you know, I, th- I think that's a really interesting kind of start to finish story of, of Spider-Man. And I mean, it's so, so back to my earlier statement about like, I like, I like homecoming better. Like part of the reason I like homecoming so much is because it essentially steals the Miles Morales story sure. in a lot of ways I in that like yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter is an awkward high schooler who like has high school problems. And like, that's really effective. Um, and you know, I think something was really lost in all those Spider-Man movies that, you know, it was like we were supposed to believe Tobey Maguire was 16. Uh, <laughs> granted, that was in like the Dawson's Creek era when like everyone was 30 playing 18 year olds. You know, these movies that place characters in high school situations and make them believable and fleshed out is, you know, is really great. Like those moments of uh, Miles meeting Gwen uh, for the first time. Great are just scene. like gold. Um, yeah, they're great. The writing is obviously perfect. Uh you know, having all of the like having all the different spider people from the various universes was great. The thing I was most nervous about when I would read about this movie as they were making it was like, it seems like they're trying to do a lot. Yeah. And I don't know how they did it, but they like managed to walk that tightrope. Um, I, I think you can like quibble with a few things here or there, but like 
you know, it feels like they really did a great job of like figuring out how to launch a multiverse. And I like, I would say like, actually my only, you know, point of critique is that like, I actually wanted more of like just miles as opposed to having him be like a member of sort of this merry band of Spider-Man. <laughs> the Spider Avengers sort of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 But it was so much fun that I didn't really care. They were very funny. Yeah. Like it was like super great funny. comedy with, with the uh, four of them. How many are we talking here between Gwen, Spider-Man Noir, Penny Five. and Spider-Ham. Yeah. 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 And Peter. Yeah. And Peter. Who, who was your favorite of the bunch? Or I should say, which one do you think would be most deserving of like a spinoff if we were going to do a, like if you wanted to see more of them? Um, I mean, probably Gwen. Mm-hmm. Like, I agree, actually. Yeah. I mean, in the movie, I thought like Spider-Ham and Noir both killed. Um, but I don't want to see... Their comedic timing yeah. really worked. Yeah, but I don't want to see a whole movie with those guys. But I would see a whole movie of Gwen. That would be great. I, and I think we're getting one. The The... In addition to Spider Verse Two, we're also getting a Spider Gwen spinoff with uh, with uh, Silk, who's from the comics as well, and is a kind of a female Spider Man, and then just Spider Woman, Jessica Drew. Wait, does sorry, this is confusing. Does Sony have the rights to Spider Woman? Sony does have the rights to spy, to all Spider People. Okay, I wasn't sure if they considered. To, it's confusing, yeah, because she's not her. She has the spider name, but she's all, not super tied to the Spider Man situation. But Sony does have the rights to her. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, those are great. I mean, I think Spider Gwen would be would be really cool. I like. I mean, again, I w- I find myself wishing that they could figure out a way to tie these into like yeah, the MCU. I but I, I mean, if it's not possible, you know, I hope Sony does a good job or does a good job of building this. From thing. what I can tell, it's a pretty amicable relationship right now between Sony and Disney. Yeah. Uh, it seems like they all get along a lot. So I, I think that as you know, it'll always come down to the bottom dollar, but there was a, a long article in the Hollywood reporter about how Spider-Verse came into fruition. And at least according to that article, there's not a lot of bad blood over the legal rights to how Spider-Man works. They all support each other and are doing their best to make the the legality work. So I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. Ryan, what you said about the how complicated this plot was, how convoluted it could have been in the wrong hands, the fact that it never even occurred to me to wonder how they were getting these multiverse spider people from different multiverses together into the same thing is amazing. And when you think about how many villains there were, like Spider-Man 3 got bogged down because it had two villains which were considered too many at the time and this one had i don't even know how many the almost the entire rogues gallery including the really wonderful reveal and i I don't want it is kind of a spoiler so i won't say which one it is but there was a great reveal halfway through of a a kind of a twist on a classic spider-man villain that's introduced that is handled very well and, and is extremely effective and yet the film just never felt bogged down or at the very least it turned its its multiplicity of characters into a feature instead of a bug in a way that actually worked. Yeah. And I was, I mean, so like I said, I took my four-year-old son to it and I was afraid. How'd that go? Yeah. I'm curious about how it went over for kids. Like he loved it. He was so excited. Like, and the best moment was like, I looked over at him uh, during that, like when Miles first like swings. Oh yeah. And he just had this huge smile on his face, like while it happened. And like, you know, we left the theater and like, he basically is like, you know, he, he knew he was like talking to me today while I was reading for this episode. And he saw, I was reading Spider-Man. He was like, there are two Spider-Men. He was like, yeah, there's Peter and Miles. 
And then he was very confused why in the comic books that Miles' dad isn't a police officer. Oh, yeah. Because um, he was like, he was like, oh, I was like, that's Miles' dad. He was like, oh, he's a policeman. And I was like, well, I was like, not in the comics. And I was like, oh, man, It's confusing on. for adults, <laughs> man. Like, I don't, yeah, that's not, that's not on him. That, that's, that's confusing for all of us. Yeah, I was like, come on, Sony. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a little confusing, and we're going to try to clarify a little bit of that confusion here in the script. We've gotten so familiar with the idea of superheroes having secret identities that it's difficult for us to grasp just how strange and exciting the idea was at first. In fact, it was the big twist ending of the very first superhero comic. Action Comics issue one introduced Superman immediately and showed him bounding around town in tights, terrorizing bad guys and rescuing adoring women, living out its young readers' craziest fantasies and being the sort of person they wished they could be. And then, on the final page, our big reveal, Superman was actually just a boring old nobody named Clark Kent. The secret identity carried with it the whiff of possibility. You could be Superman. Clark Kent seems normal, or even a little less than normal. His boss hates him. The woman he loves ignores him. Everybody thinks he's a loser. Everybody's wrong. It was a key factor in Superman's early popularity, which makes it odd that it took the superhero industry such a long time to replicate the formula. Batman had a secret identity, but billionaire genius playboy Bruce Wayne was nearly as fabulous as his costume's counterpart. Wonder Woman would occasionally don disguises, but her true identity was the princess of a magical island. It took a few decades before Stan Lee and Steve Ditko really unlocked the full potential of the secret identity trope. Peter Parker was the ultimate secret identity because he had the most in common with his actual readers. Adolescence was still poorly understood in the early 60s, but Ditko and Lee created a character full of the anxiety, neurosis, and general dorkiness that the comic book genre's socially maligned fandom immediately recognized. In recent years, the secret identity has become less vital to the superhero drama, most of the characters in the MCU don't bother with disguises, and even Superman comics, the founder of the trope, have given up trying to explain how a pair of eyeglasses throws everyone off Clark Kent's scent. But it's always been a core part of Spider-Man. Peter Parker is a luckless loser, like you. But when he puts on the mask, he's a hero. And who knows? Maybe that means you could be a hero too. But in 2008, the Marvel offices finally realized something about their cast of heroes, something that had been holding them back. By that time, the likelihood of Barack Obama becoming the United States' first black president was becoming clear. And as then-editor-in-chief Axel Alonso put it, we acknowledged that maybe it was time to take a good look at one of our icons. Because while Peter Parker was an ideal cipher for the nerdy and misunderstood, he was still, like almost all of Marvel's marquee characters, a white guy living out a white experience. Marvel had a racially diverse fan base, but the most compelling part of the Spider-Man mythos, that you could be him, was at a slight remove. It wasn't that Marvel didn't have heroes of color. Black Panther, Jubilee, Luke Cage, The Falcon, Shang-Chi, Psylocke, and most notably at the time, the X-Men Storm, were all well-loved characters. But Marvel's all-star cast, Spider-Man, Wolverine, the Hulk, Captain America, and the Ilk, was undoubtedly white. 
these characters benefited from being created by white men at a time when racial diversity was not considered especially important. They've had more time and resources devoted to establishing them as pop culture icons. Marvel wasn't being deliberately racist. In fact, Jack Kirby fought for a number of years to introduce the Black Panther into comics against the protests of higher-ups. But this is how racism often tends to work. Lots of small, unintentional, maybe even defensible decisions that end up leaving marginalized groups out in the cold. The conversations around creating a Black Spider-Man began in 2008, but they picked up steam thanks to an online campaign in 2010. Glover, wearing Spider-Man pajamas on Community, ignited an online campaign to see him cast as Peter Parker in the upcoming Amazing Spider-Man movies. That role ultimately went to Andrew Garfield, and it's unclear if Glover was ever seriously considered outside of Twitter. But the popularity emboldened the Marvel Comics bullpen. People wanted a black Spider-Man. So they got one. Miles Morales, the half-black, half-Latino Brooklyn teenager, now familiar to all, made his debut in a comic called Ultimate Fallout. Brian Michael Bendis did the unthinkable, killing off Peter Parker in Ultimate Spider-Man, but had been teasing the appearance of Miles for some time, showing there was another spider-powered kid willing to wear the mask in Peter's stead. He officially became Spider-Man in 2011 in his own series written by Bendis and drawn by Sarah Pacelli. He eventually was brought over to the main universe, what fans call the 616, and is now able to serve as the teenage Spider-Man, while Peter Parker, the first Spider-Man, has been allowed to grow up a little bit. And more importantly, a new generation of Black and Latino kids were able to see someone who looked like them put on the mask and become something more than what other people saw. That has very different implications in a country where Black kids are jailed at five times the rate of their white peers. When Peter wears the mask, he's no longer perceived as a nerd. When Miles wears it, he's no longer perceived as a threat. The secret identity trope brings along with it an interesting question that comics love to milk. Which one is the real identity? Maybe, some writers will posit, Bruce Wayne is the real mask and Batman is the actual identity. But with Miles, the Spider-Man myth takes on a much broader question. The mask isn't just a disguise. It's permission, license, and responsibility. Peter Parker and Miles Morales are different people who look different and have different backgrounds and experiences, and those things don't disappear when they put on the mask. Nothing changes. Anyone can wear the mask. With this, like with everything in the Spider-Man stories, it's what you do with it that matters. So, Ryan, you've been reading a lot of Miles comics over mostly today, right? You've been cramming like for the mid for the final yeah, here. Yeah, but this is mid for the final. Yeah, he's still a pretty manageable character. Yeah, because he's only been around for about ten years, and there's only been a, a few runs. Um, how do you think that his his character has been handled in the comics? Um, I mean, I think pretty well. I mean, he's only been part of the six one six universe for like three years now, two two and a half. Um, so, I mean, I felt like like with most of the Ultimate Universe, it had you know a huge advantage by being not bound to some of the stuff that was happening in the mainstream ones. Right. Um, the one thing that the Ultimate comics had that you know into the Spider Verse movie didn't have. Um, even though I'll get, I'll come back to this is uh, is time. So like the whole first volume of Ultimate Spider-Man is Peter. Miles doesn't really come into it until late in the first collected trade, and then like and then when Peter dies, like you've spent 
like x number of issues with him and it's this like huge heartbreak thing and i like i actually think even though it didn't have time like into the spider-verse did it like incredibly well um because again it was able to lean into uh the spider-man mythos that you know sort of just part of the like part of the american culture at this point but yeah i mean i mean i think the ultimate spider-man is obviously like well regarded for a good reason it was really good um and then i also read a bunch of bendis's run now that uh miles is in the mainstream at marvel universe um as spider-man and it was really good i mean i think i think with the exception of the parts where miles had to be in civil war oh my god um which <laughs> we talked about we talked yeah, about this it, a little bit earlier today because the comics have a event called civil war two which is sort of a rehash of the the Captain America v Iron Man comic event from a few years ago, which is this time Iron Man versus Captain Marvel. And it is entirely terrible. And it's weird, too, because it's like Spider-Man was also sort of the fall guy yeah, in Civil yeah, War One. Yeah. Like, it's just like man like they basically just have to make spider-man into this like lackey who like, just becomes a fulcrum of the plot yeah in order to make this like stupid thing work so aside from that it's been really good um and i'm i'm currently in the middle of uh there's a big crossover section with him and uh, uh spider gwen that's really good. oh yeah that, that was a great little story so yeah i mean i think like he's a great character i think the thing he has that peter never did is the relationship with his parents that i think you know in bendis's best moments of writing he really leans into and that familial stuff like you know you have this juxtaposition of uncle ben who sort of gets you know peter the start and you know becomes his catalyst to really push him toward becoming a hero um versus like uh miles uncle aaron who sort of becomes this cautionary tale that miles is always afraid of becoming even as he like loves his uncle but then i just think you know this like leaning in on the fact that, you know, Miles is living in New York and has a black dad and a Hispanic mother and speaks Spanish with his mom and clearly is black with his friends. And they talk about that and don't get away from that. Like that seems to be a very true to life, uh, you know, in my limited experience, like seems to be what would be a very true to life, you know, way of speaking and, you know, way of living in a living, breathing New York as opposed to, you know, some like city in a bottle that was built in the 60s. Yeah, I think he's a really effective character. I like, again, I mean, I said this too, like the reason I like Homecoming is because it, you know, delves into that, like of Miles being in high school. And I like, I really love that they have a high school Spider-Man again, um, who, you know, struggling with like going to class and getting good grades and uh, figuring out, how to ask girls out like all while grappling with these like larger than life uh, situations. And I think like those are the most interesting things to me. Um, and so it's, it's why I tend to like Spider-Man when he's a little closer to the ground than whenever he's part of these massive galactic things, even though he obviously has some good comic timing sometimes. There's been a few runs now. Brad Michael Bendis did Miles Morales, uh, Spider-Man. And, and then it, he was moved over into the main universe and now, just recently, uh, actually within the last month, Miles Morales was rebooted with a new series written by Saladin Ahmed, who's one of my favorite writers working in the in the business right now. He's really, really uh, a very gifted 
writer and was very in tune, I think, too, sort of, he's extremely online, I would say. He's <laughs> like, he's very like gifted in, in like navigating the Twitterverse and, and he frequently goes viral with, with the memes that he creates. Even outside of the comic book fan, he's got a lot of interesting thoughts about politics and, and social justice that he tweets regularly and, and he's, he's worth a follow if you're on Twitter and, and needs some interesting stuff in the timeline. So Ahmed has just taken over the and and relaunched Miles Morales. And I feel like he just is a little bit closer to the Miles situation than Bendis ever was, mostly based on he I mean, A, he's younger. B, he's a person of color himself. So he has that he doesn't have to sort of pretend or cosplay when he's writing these characters, which I think can be done, but but I think it's obviously gonna feel more authentic and natural when it comes from somebody who has the the actual experiences of being a person of color in America. And and I just think that that Ahmed is sort of part of a, a newer wave where Bendis is extremely talented and, and has been in the game for a long time. But Ahmed is, is moving the genre forward in some interesting ways. He's, he's only, as of this recording, he's only two issues in. And I'd recommend you pick them both up if you can. He's, he's off to a great start with his writing. Yeah, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I think I, I told you I, it hasn't come on Unlimited yet. Yeah. Uh, so I haven't, I haven't looked at it yet. But I know um, you always obviously sing very highly, high praises of uh, his writing. Uh, is, the, is the art good? Because that's something I always really loved in... Um, at least Bendis' series since since he's come into the main universe, like the art's been really good too, and it was good in it was good in Ultimate as well. Uh, the, the art is great. It's it's a uh, Javier Garin and who, whose art I've always liked a lot. When he started, Bendis's initial foray into Miles Morales was drawn by Sarah Pacelli, who's one of my favorite artists. I, I love her work. She did the Into the Spider Verse, into the very the very clever like comic book covers they would throw down uh, as sort of a transition when they introduced a new character. She was the one who drew the picture of Miles for right after he swung through New York for the first time. Um, she's a great artist and she's also working on Fantastic Four right now. So they, they don't have that, but I, but I do like Javier's work a lot. I think you'll enjoy it when you get to it. I think it's great. Yeah. It feels like a really good way to tell some new stories exactly. um, with Spider-Man. And I, it feels like it gives Peter something else to do for a little while. Um, <laughs> yeah. As, as opposed to having to like swap brains with Dr. Octopus. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Like, I wish we had Chris here. who could go on a rant about Dan Slott here, but uh, <laughs> it feels like, you know, Spider-Man has been going for so long that they can't like they keep coming up with these like insane things for him to be a part mm-hmm. of. So, you know, Miles, I think, gives them a new brush to paint with. And I think it's done really well. Um, and like you said, I mean, and I think, you know, one of the crossovers I read uh, was written by uh, Jason Latour. OK, that, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Who wrote Spider-Gwen. And so he's writing a lot of the. Um, you know, he wrote the qu- crossover, so he's clearly writing uh, some of Miles, too. Um, and I've liked his art, interestingly enough. Like, he uh, is the artist for Southern Bastards, and he's written a couple issues, which, like, I will... And you love Southern Bastards, if I remember correctly. I love Southern Bastards, yeah. But Jason Aaron and Jason Latour is, is awesome. It's like, yeah, Southern Fried, like, Vengeance, and it's, yeah, great, bloody, and yeah. But he, so he's the writer on Spider-Gwen, <laughs> And it's interesting that you say, you know, that uh, Ahmed is younger and writing that because I because I noticed like Latour's uh, 41, according to Wikipedia. So I'm sorry if that's wrong. You know, you could tell there's like a marked difference when he's writing 
Miles versus Bendis, sure. who Bendis is like great, but this feels more like how kids talk um, when he was writing it. So, yeah. Last question before we wrap up here. We started off sort of conversation about this movie about Spider Verse, uh, saying that I I feel like, in, in my opinion, Far From Home now the bar has been set very high for yeah. this movie based on Spider Verse. But you you're still you'd say that Homecoming is still your favorite Spider Man movie. Do you feel like that there is going to be is there room for like kind of two divergent Spider-Man franchises, the animated one with Miles and Gwen and Spider-Man Noir and whoever else we decided to add to this and the, the Tom Hollands and Daya MCU Spider-Man 616 official? Yeah, I mean, because there were room for two spider books for however many years. Um you know, Ultimate Spider-Man was like really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amazing Spider-Man has always been really successful. You know, I mean, if they go as long as those books went, I think eventually they'll have to figure out some way to kind of shake those up a little bit. But I mean, I think there's a lot of room. Like the stories that they're going to be able to tell uh, within the MCU are just naturally different than what they're going to be able to tell when they can get out of that box uh, a little bit. The one thing I do hope for a sequel from Spider Verse is like as much as I loved all the other characters, I do hope that we get more of a more of a Miles centric story. Like, yeah. and and I mean, I, I feel this way about most most of the first superhero movies. Like, and obviously this like wasn't technically an origin story, but a lot of the movie was sort of Miles like realizing that the power was within him all along, and all, you know, <laughs> like the, you know the sort of the beats that most superheroes follow. It just did it a lot. Oh better yeah, I loved it. I, like I was, I've I've seen this many times, but I was I was totally on board for it when he yeah. my my heart soared the first time Miles jumped oh, yeah. off that building, and you know, like I was I was all the way there for it. But I do always love like that's one of the reasons I love sequels. Sometimes is that we don't have to have that part. Sure, um, sure. You know, there's sort of start, like you have a character that's already fleshed out that you, you know, know something about. So yeah. So I, I, like, I'm really excited to see what they do next in that universe. And like, I think, you know, it could very easily uh, become like the standard Spider-Man. Like, I think just like the way, you know, the way it used music too, um, oh, is just much more integrated. Music, yeah, like, but, but, but it was, but it was awesome. It made me like a post Malone song. Yeah. I'll never forgive it. <laughs> yeah. But like in the, in the way like graffiti and, mm-hmm. uh, like DJ culture was celebrated in the movie and like, you know, all that stuff is stuff that like the main MCU is never going to do, nor should it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's totally there's totally two places for that because they're doing telling separate stories and they're telling them in different ways. And I think that's a really good thing. I'll be curious to see what Far From Home does. Um, like like I said, I know zero about Mysterio, so that'll be interesting. I'm a little initially disappointed that like he's going to London because he should always be in yeah, New York. But that was weird. But yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe there's a great reason for that besides they had a bigger budget. <laughs> And uh, I, I think with that, that, that's as far as we're going to go tonight. We're, we're going to wrap it up with that. Brian, I'm glad you're able to be here. I, I, I'm sure that people missed uh, Hannah and Chris's witty repartee on yes. this podcast, but I feel like we still delivered on our prom, our guarantee, I hope so. which is a superhero podcast about superhero things. So we, we definitely did that. Thanks for listening to this episode, everybody. If you like what you heard, then I do hope you will go to the Apple podcast page and you'll give us a solid review. I appreciate everybody who's done that so far. You, I take words of affirmation very seriously and I, I take all of those very personally. And so far, they've been mostly pretty positive reviews. So I'll, I, I hope that you add to the collection. And if you give us a particularly good one, maybe we'll even read it 
on the podcast someday. Who knows? I also want to say thank you to Chad and Jesse at CM Studios. They make sure that they were sounding good on the ones and twos. Uh, I want to say thank you to Chris and Hannah. I know you guys are out there. I believe in my heart that you will listen to this episode. And we can't wait to for you to be back next time when we, when we start this up again. Brian, I think that's it. Season two is underway. All right. Season two. Here we go. Here, here we go. No need for thanks, citizen. We will talk to you all next time. Thanks, everybody. 